So maybe you've been like me before, but sometimes when I go somewhere, maybe to stay at a friend's house, maybe to stay uh, with my in-laws for a week, like a couple weeks ago we went there and stayed because Emily was nannying and she had to get up really early, go to a family's house to help them out. And so my wife had two options. We could stay at my in-laws and get up at six o'clock and leave, or she could stay at our house and get up at like 4.30 and leave. And so you can imagine what my wife picked. Uh, she picked to go stay with my in-laws. So we loaded up a couple weeks ago and we went and stayed with my in-laws and we were there the entire week and they were going to and fro, to and fro, going to work, we we're going to work. And whenever I stay somewhere, I always try to like bless somebody. Like if I see a problem, Kenneth, I'll try to fix it. But Pastor Nick's not handy-mandy, right? Uh, like, he is not handy-dandy. He's not Bob the Builder. I've got some struggles. Sometimes I YouTube stuff. I mean, I'm a certified YouTube mechanic. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to YouTube it. I'm going to call somebody. But I do know how to do a few things. I've got some tools, right? And so I noticed when we were in their bathroom, their guest bathroom, the sinks were not draining, right? So I was like, oh, I can fix that. I know how to do that. So you can just undo the back of the stopper, pop the stopper out, and it's a mess. Some of you females got hair. You ought to thank your husband for the times he cleans out the drains, amen? Because uh, you got to pull out all that hair, all that gunk, got to clean out everything, and then you put it back together. And while I was working on one of them, it went smooth. Went smooth, the, the, top, the, bop, the bottom came out just fine, I twisted the knob, everything went smooth, I'll get out, cleaned all the junk out. My wife was like, Hercules, Hercules. Uh, you know, she was hyping me up, like, look at my man. Uh, you know, it's, it's, but I went to the next sink, and I went to turn the PVC pipe, and it wouldn't turn. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I went and grabbed a handy-dandy pair of channel locks uh, that'll make a preacher cuss, amen. Uh, I'm telling you that because I have. Uh, and I grabbed a hold of it, and I started just getting at it, and next thing you know, pow, it popped. And I was like, oh gosh. Every man in here knows, maybe some of you women know, you are just one broken part away from ruining your entire day. So that broken piece turned into me going to Lowe's, me going to Harbor Freight, me going all over the place, and Emily was like, how come this always happens to you? She says, this always happens to you. You always break something wherever we're going somewhere. And I'm thinking, love you too. First Corinthians, amen, you know, love is patient. And the whole time though, and I couldn't find the right part. And then finally I got underneath the sink. And I was trying to really look and see what I did wrong. And on that second sink, for some reason, my brain did not click right. I was turning it the wrong way. I was turning it the wrong way because it was opposite me. And so the first sink went good because I just, for some reason, I was like, da, 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 da. but the second sink, I had turned it the wrong way. So I had broken the part because I was doing things the wrong way. I was using the part inappropriately and I'd caused more damage than more good. And it is amazing in life when you do things opposite the way God has designed them to be, you break things and you damage yourself. You break things and you damage yourself. Because many people think, well, I'll go against the grain and I won't do the, thing, the way things God has said. And in that process, once again, you break things and you damage yourself. And that is where we find ourselves in Psalms chapter 121. Psalms 121 is by far probably one of the most famous psalms in the entire book. Psalms 21, I promise you, if you have not heard it before, uh, as quoted as Psalms 121, you've heard these words before. I was even talking to Joey back there in the back this morning because it is such a prominent psalm in our society. It is such a prominent psalm. When people think about, hey, I need help, they think about this psalm, okay? Sermon title this morning is Travel Advisory. So we're in Psalms 121. We'll read the entire psalm, and then we'll come back verse by verse, okay? Psalms 121, I lift my eyes to the hills... 
From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He, will keep, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And the sun shall not strike you by day or, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. This phrase, once again, is very popular as well as the first part. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So once again, this whole psalm, you have to remember context. I've always big on that. Kind of like in real estate, there are three things that are important. Location, 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 right? In the Bible, there are three things that are very important. Context, context, context. It cannot mean something for us that it did not mean for them, okay? It cannot mean something for us that it did not mean for them. So I'm labeled this travel advisory because if you've ever noticed driving down the interstate, they will have billboards that say for travel information, turn to AM signal, whatever it is. I don't know about you, but I don't even remember using AM when I was a child. I remember it's always been FM. Some of y'all, y'all remember going AM to FM. It's always been FM for me, but hardly ever have we ever turned to that signal. It's only been when we were in traffic because this is going to blow some of y'all's minds, but used to when you went on a road trip, you had this thing called a road atlas. And this thing was four telephone, bo- telephone book thick, amen, and your mom or dad would get it out, and Atlanta would fit on four pages. You turn that bad boy, you turn it, some sections folded out, and I'll never forget it. My uncle was driving one day to Florida, and my mom said, George, I got this road atlas. He said, I don't need no road atlas. 20 minutes later, where's that road atlas at? You got that road atlas? Because used to, you had to look at that map, and it would tell you about things. And if you said in traffic, you couldn't look on your GPS and say, well, there's a wreck ahead. No, you would turn in to that AM signal, and it would tell you, hey, there's this going on, there's that going on. It was a travel advisory. A travel advisory. Because sometimes as you travel, there are things you need to be aware of. There are risks and dangers at play. If you've ever been to Florida this time of year, they will have a flag system. A flag system, meaning green, means good. They would go up to yellow. If it's a red flag, that means you're not supposed to swim. They have these flags, especially in Pensacola. They're known as the flag beaches there. And sure enough, as they have these advisories that go out, sometimes we listen to them. Sometimes, especially men, will say, I don't need no travel advisory. And we don't pay attention, and we get hurt in the process, right? So this would be a travel advisory. Now remember, we're traveling from the outbanks of Jerusalem, I'll need Israel. We're traveling from all the way out from the, to the Cledons and the cutoffs, right? All the way up to Jerusalem. It's a journey. It's a several, several, several mile journey to get to Jerusalem. They're walking on foot. They're traveling. Last week, we talked about how the psalmist started off saying, hey, I live among people who want war and I want peace. I live among Kadesh and I live among all these people who they want war and I want to leave them. So he's left his home country He's traveling to Jerusalem, and yet verse in chapter 121, he starts off saying, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I look to the mountains. Now, once again, you think about mountains, and you think about beauty. You think about how, I'll never forget it, the first time I drove out west um, into the mountains of the Rockies. Some of you, you've never been to the Rockies. You think Gatlinburg is mountains. They're not. Uh, just to let you know, some of you have been to Gatlinburg. We're going to the mountains. You're going to the hills. Uh, you're not going to the mountains because the Rockies are mountains. Like you're driving through Colorado out to the west, and you will notice on the horizon it gets really dark. 
It gets really dark, and you're probably thinking, it's going to storm. That's not storm clouds. That's mountains. Literally, it's dark all on the horizon because they're showing their presence. And when you drive in, it's almost breathtaking because you see how small you really are when you're looking at those mountains. And you see the white caps, no matter if it's summer, no matter when it is, they're always white capped. You see the grandeur, and it causes us to feel small. It causes us to worship. It causes us to really reflect and say, man, this is just beauty like none other behold. But for the psalmist, for the psalmist reading this, you've got to understand context what he's talking about. He says, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, for the Israelite, that meant something totally different than us. Because when I say I look to the mountains, I don't know about you, but I've got to have a Lord of the Rings reference, right? Uh, I, I think of, you know, Gandalf on the second Lord of the Rings, the two towers, when he tells uh, Aragon, he says, on the third day, look to the east. On the third day, look up to the mountains because I'm coming down and I'm going to rout the enemy on that third day. There's a lot of symbolism, believe it or not, in Christianity and our tokens books. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but do you understand the whole context is, hey, we oftentimes look for the mountains for relief and refuge. But the psalmist is saying here, no, 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 I don't look to the mountains. He doesn't look to the mountains because mountaintops in this society meant idols, idol worship, meant idolatry. Because on mountains in this time period, believe it or not, that's where you would find temples and, and all kinds of altars and other things built around all these false gods that Israel sometimes worshipped. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't cover over things, say that never happened. No, it's very, very blunt. This is our history. This is what we have done. These are the mistakes that were made. And if you were going to fake a story, wouldn't you make it all rainbows and butterflies? But God's story is not that way. God's very open and honest about his goodness and his faithfulness and his people's failures. And you see that over and over again because oftentimes the very strong language the Bible uses to talk about Israel, Israel he says, it says over and over again, they have prostituted themselves. Isn't that strong language? That's what God says, though. They have prostituted themselves with other gods. They have given themselves over to worship these other gods who are not real. And this sets the whole context for the entire psalm. He says, I look to the mountains, and other people look to the mountains. And they look at these temples. They look at these, Baal, these altars of Baal, and they think those gods can rescue us. But I know those mountains are empty. I know those altars are false. I know those gods are not even real. And I know even if I look to them, they're not going to give me any help because my help doesn't come from the mountain. My help comes from the one above the mountain. It's very powerful, guys. You understand this. He says, I don't look to the mountain. I look to the Lord. Because the Lord is higher than the mountains. The Lord is higher than the mountains. And so our first point there, I want you to pay attention to, God is our helper. He says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. My help doesn't come from other things. My help comes from the Lord. You think about mountaintops in our own society, we look for help. You think about things like, we look uh, for uh, help in our nation. Some people call this Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is, of course, where you firmly believe. Pay attention here, because it's going to maybe ruffle some feathers, but this is gospel truth. Christian nationalism is you think America is a Christian nation, and you think that everything America does is God-ordained, God-sanctioned, and God-blessed, and you think that this is the promised land. When I want to let you know that is so far from Scripture, it's almost... You could almost say it's heresy because it's not the truth. The truth of the matter is, I do want you to know that there are prophecies in this book, but they're not about America. 
There are prophecies in this book that are true, that are about God's people, but it's not talking about a location on the map. It's talking about the church of God. And so Christian nationalism is this idea, this thinking, that somehow that there is no fault among the American government. There is no fault among the American presidents. There is no fault on the Republicans or Democrats. Well, I'll let you know, guys, there are liars on both parties. There is not a Savior that's going to be coming from the White House. There's not. And I say this to you as a patriot through and through. I would, I, I, one of my biggest regrets in my entire life, you haven't spoke to me, I wish I would have served in the military. I, I, I'll regret that probably till I, probably till I die. Um, but my brother served, my entire family is full of patriotism, and I'm a patriot at heart. I'm a firm believer in our rights. I'm a firm believer, and we, should, we are God-blessed, and I'm a firm believer in all those things. But do not ever, ever think that this is God's country and God's nation, because it's not. It's not. And Christian nationalism is this belief that America can save us. That the White House can save us. That's just we need to know the president. We need to know the law. We need to know this. Guys, if we look for any hope outside of Christ, we'll be disappointed. We will constantly be disappointed. Because some of you, you've lived through a lot of presidents. You've seen, they all, they all lie. They all don't do what they say they're going to do. This week, I don't know if you noticed the news, uh, but Queen Elizabeth is celebrating 70 years of reigning as the queen in Great Britain. That is astounding. Fourteen presidents she's seen come and gone, and yet she's been faithful at the helm over in Great Britain. And you can say what you want to, and I'm not saying, uh, like I said, I, I know they've got a lot of jacked up things going on over there, but her faithfulness is something to admire. That she has donated her life to service. She's donated her life to the service to the crown and to the country. She's put the crown and country before her, even her own feelings and ambitions, you could say. Something to marvel at that. But you think about how Christian nationalism, and if you were to say, what happens if our nation was to become a Christian nation? I would say that's a bad thing. You must say, Pastor, how would you say our nation was to become a Christian? That'd be a bad thing. Did you forget about the thing I mentioned a couple weeks ago? Did you forget about the Crusades? Anytime the state and a faith marry, it's not good. Anytime a state and the faith come together and form a union, that's called, and Christian, it's called Christendom, and it's never good. Because what happens is the state does things that are against God's word, but they have God's authority, and people get hurt, people get abused, and people get killed. We should always, always, always vote for freedom of religion for all peoples. Why? Because I don't want somebody's religion to be forced on me, and I don't want to force my religion on anybody. That's not the Christian way. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus didn't force himself on anyone when he was on the earth. Now, the second times he comes, he's coming to make war. He's not coming to make peace. But we're a long way from that, you could say. So Christian nationalism is a mountain we look at. What about money? We think Wall Street can save us. Isn't it funny that Capitol Hill is on a hill and Wall Street is on a street? You think about it? That these are things we look at and we think, like some of you right now, your, your security has went down with every knock in your 401k. Like you start off the year with a lot of money and now as the economy has adjusted back and forth, you can blame whoever you want to blame. At the end of the day, I'm not going to get political with you, but your security, your feeling of safety has went down just as quick as the stock market has. We look to money to save us. We look to money to save us. And let me tell you something, the, the love of money is where the root of evil is, but it's not money that's evil. Money is neutral. But we hear even in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So 
Keep yourself free from money and, de- and live in contentment. Live in contentment. That's a superpower, isn't it? To be content. Be content with what you have. And let me promise you, we might feel a little more pain at the pump this time of year, but I promise you it's never, ever, ever, ever been a struggle of ours to not know where water was going to come from. It's never been a struggle of ours to turn the lights on. It's never been a struggle of ours to turn the AC up a couple notches. But at the end of the day, there are other people around the world who are starving just to make $2 a day. So contentment is a thing we need to learn. So money is a, is a uh, mountain we look at. Sex is a mountain we look at. I don't know if you knew this or not, but this whole entire month is Pride Month, they say. Where the whole entire month is built around celebrating this one group of individuals who go contrary to God's word and do things backward to what he has decided to do things in creation. So our entire society pauses and has pride in this movement, so to speak. And I love what the Proverbs said, pride cometh before the fall. And I do want to let you know that once again, we look to sex as a mountain that can make us feel better. We'll take our loneliness and we'll think, well, sex will make me feel included. If I just sleep with people, I'll feel like I have value. And at the end of the day, you'll find out the more you do sleep with other people, the lonelier you feel. Why? Because they cannot fill a void that's placed there by the author of life himself. And we strive to go to the mountain of sex and that'll do something for me. We think our whole identity is wrapped up in our sexual preferences. At the end of the day, that's not true at all either. So we look to sex as a mountain to save us. We look to religion to save us. Maybe some of you this morning, you came to church thinking, I'm going to have a good week because I went to church and I checked my box and God's going to bless me. Oh, dear child of God, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. You see, the blessing is not that you'll, when you leave here, the blessing is that you came here. You got to be the people of God worshiping the Lord. That's the blessing. It's not, even if God doesn't give you anything this week, you've still been blessed far more than you deserve. How do I know this? Because I've been given the same. The blessing is me in relationship with the Father. That's the blessing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, guess what? They had religion, but they didn't have a relationship, and so they missed the Christ. That was the mountain they looked up to. And that's why he has that second part there. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Why would you settle for the creation when you can have the Creator? Why would you settle for creation when you can have the Creator? Because here's the, end of the, here's the truth be told, church. If I look to my spouse to complete me, I will be frustrated. I mean, sh- I will be disappointed and she will be frustrated. Because she can't, she can't complete me. Some of you thinking that classic line from Tom Cruise, not in Top Gun. I wish it was. I'm going to quote Top Gun. You wait, it's coming. Uh, but not from that classic film of Jerry Maguire where he looks at her and he says, You complete me. That's not true. Completion cannot be found in another human. Why? Because humans are broken. Humans are sinners. Another sinner cannot make a sinner whole. It takes a whole Savior to make us whole. That's what it takes. So we don't find our joy and contentment from creation. We find it from the Creator. Look what it says here. Uh, the travel advisories is uh, sometimes you might slip and fall. This is what happens in Psalms 121, verses 3 through 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. God keeps our feet on solid ground. You know what feet on solid ground is? Both feet planted in the Word of God. 
This is true. This is reality. What God says is good is good. What God says is bad is bad. And I built my life on his firm foundation. If you remember the parable Jesus gave, he said, one man builds his house on the rock. When the floods came and the water rose, guess what? He stood because his house was built on the rock. Another man built his house on the sand. And when the flood rained and the waters rose, his house was washed away. Why? Because our lives have to be built on the rock. And the rock is Jesus. And the rock is the word of God. We have to be built on the rock. That's where our feet won't slide. We have to be built on the Word of God. It says our God does not slumber. Some of you might think you're Billy Bad. You know how I know you're weak? You have to sleep. That's how I know you're weak. You know how I know I'm weak? I have to sleep. Just this past week, uh, I've shared with you a couple weeks ago, Esther's been sick. She's had an upper respiratory infection. She had an earache. And I don't know about you, but there's something like your child coughing that will not let you sleep. Uh, like when you hear them cough, like it's like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? And we just, last week, we decided to move Esther from her bassinet. She graduated to her, her big girl crib, finally. Praise God. Uh, and she's now in her big girl crib where she lays there, but we got that handy-dandy monitor. And you see everything she does. She's wearing a sock. She's on house arrest, amen. Uh, she's got a monitor. We can see everything about her. It can swivel. It can move. We can talk to her through it. Blows my mom. My mom had a walkie-talkie in my bedroom, amen. And it was only one-way receiver. She couldn't talk back, amen. It was just, ah. uh, that's all it was. I believe she had it for years and years and years. Some of y'all, y'all had a string with a, with a, with a, around your ankle, around their ankle. They move, you wake up. Uh, but do understand, they came a long way but this week, we went to bed, we were exhausted, we were tired, and all of a sudden, if you don't know this by Pastor Nick, Emily will tell you, I'm a heavy sleeper. Like, if I go to sleep, I'm one of those people where if I lay down, I never struggle to go to bed. Like, I lay down, out, like a light. Emily lays down, tick-tock for four hours. Uh, you know, I, no, I lay down, knocked. So I was laying there, and all of a sudden, I heard a baby crying. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? And I wake up, I'm like wiping the sleepies up my eyes, you know what I'm saying? Like I was in deep sleep. And I look over and I'm like, Emily. I start tapping her, I'm like, Emily, Emily, what, what's she crying for? And she says, what, what? And she's like, oh my goodness, what happened? We had forgot to plug in the monitor. So she had been crying maybe for a couple minutes. Some of y'all don't look at me with judgmental eyes. Don't you dare look at me, mom and dad over there. I've never done that. You have. Some of you have closed the door and turned the monitor off. Just go to sleep. You'll be all right. I felt bad, though. I, felt, I, was, like, I was like, man, how long has she been crying? Emily was like, she's fine. Because Esther likes to play passy pong. I'm going to throw it and then get mad I threw it. Uh, you know, that's what she does right now. It's her thing. It's her trick. Ha, puh. Uh, you know, it's not funny. Um, but all the while, you feel how weak you are when you sleep because you have to sleep. You have to recharge. God never sleeps. He never takes a nap. There's never been a moment in human history God's like, wow, didn't see that coming. He never sleeps. Darkness is like light to him. He never ever rests because he doesn't need to rest. He might say, well, he rested on the Sabbath. No, he rested so that we would rest on the Sabbath. He didn't rest because he was exhausted. No, God had all kinds of stuff in the tank. Why? Because he's everlasting. He needed to show us the Sabbath. He needed to show us this is what you do. He was leading us by example. God doesn't rest. He doesn't slumber. This next bit in verses 5 through 6 is pretty interesting. I want you to pay attention here because this is pretty, pretty cool. Many of us read through it very quickly, but it's so, so good. The Lord is your keeper. So the Lord, our 
first point, the Lord's our helper. The second point, the Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our keeper. Our third point, the Lord is our protector. So keeper, look what it says there. The Lord is your shade on your right hand, and the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, when I first read through this a couple weeks ago, I thought, this is such a weird, weird psalm. The Lord is my shade on my right hand. And also, look what he says here. Also, he said, the sun will not strike me by day and the moon by night. I thought that was so odd. Anybody else reading that? You're thinking, that's an odd phrase. I get the sun striking you. I get that. Like, you think of heat stroke. You think of somebody who's working on the heat. I think about the day Kenneth went, went with Texas Chainsaw Massacre over here in the thicket. Some of y'all remember that? And then he was just cutting everything in path, and we're all over there. <sighs> we need to take a break. Kenneth's over there, you know, cutting everything. He, I was worried. I was like, Kenneth, come take a break. You're going to have a heat stroke. Come on. He was like, what? What? Uh, and I was like, put the chainsaw down. Uh, you know, it's time to go. He was drenched in sweat. Because even uh, no matter how long you've been working, you've got to take a break. Right? The sun beats down, you get hot. If your body temperature, they classify heat stroke as your body core temperature reaching around 104. That's hot, right? That's hot. That's almost hot as my wife. Uh, you got to get it in there. I'm telling you, I got to sugarcoat. Uh, you know, uh, 104, get those compliments in there. 104 degrees. That's, you're really hot. And when that happens, what begins to happen is you begin to shut down. Your body gets so hot, it begins to shut down where somebody will pass slick out. Because their body understands we are in a very, very serious, serious, serious situation. We need to cut off everything we need to cut off and focus on the internal organs, make sure we're cooling everything down. So some people even stop sweating because, once again, they've got nothing left. So you've got to drink water, you've got to rest, heat stroke. So I wonder how many of us are spiritually heat stroked. We've been serving and serving and serving and serving and serving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And you're going to find yourselves exhausted, exhausted, exhausted. And finally, you get so sick of serving the church that you leave the church. And you're sick of the church. Why? Because you're heat stroked out. Because you've got to rest. You have to take a day off. Got to take a couple months off serving. Don't think church. Some of you thinking, pastors had to take a couple months off. No, you have a time where you serve. You have a time where you rest, but you got to keep things in balance. You have to. Because you won't make it. I love you enough to tell you that. You won't make it. Some of you thinking, I don't ever take no days off. You're going to die. Because you have to have rest. You've got to sleep. You've got to recharge. You've got to take a day off. You have to. You might say, I can't afford to. Then sell some stuff. Sell your car. Get a cheaper car. Well, it's all about safety. Have you seen these vehicles nowadays? They're made out of tissue paper. Some of the older ones, they're made out of a tank. You hit some, that thing dies. Your car keeps trucking. Some of y'all, y'all had a pothole. It broke. Uh, Because I'm telling you, get rid of some stuff. Because you don't have to work as hard as you do. You just got to cut some things out. You got to be content with what you have. you got to wear Sam's polos. Am I right, Rondell? you got to. Heat stroke. He's wearing the same shirt I am, if you didn't know. All right, so you think of heat stroke, sunstroke, right? But what about moonstroke? You heard somebody said, hey, you moonstroke, bro. I think about moonstroke, I think about moon night, right, that just came out uh, on uh, Marvel. Some of y'all watched that like I did. You think about that with Stephen and Mark, right? I don't know if you watched that or not. Um, but moonstroke has three specific meanings, three, th- th- three things it can mean in the context. Number one is it can mean a mental unbalanced. 
So if you did not know, Moon Knight, that's what he suffers with, a mental imbalance. He's got dual personality disorder. Number two, romantically sentimental. So when somebody's moonstroke, moonstruck, then there's somebody who has a romantic sentimental. Some of y'all grew up in the 80s. There was a movie that came out called Moonstruck. I wasn't born yet. Um, but then you have lost, meaning number three, lost in fantasy or, or uh, lost in fantasy or like a daydreaming state, right? So somebody who is mentally unbalanced, I'm not going to talk about that, romantically sentimental, I'll talk about that, and I'll talk about lost in fantasy. So what does it mean to be moonstruck? He says that God will protect you from the heat during the day, and God will watch over you during the night, whenever you are possibly moonstruck. What does that mean? God will watch over you, and he will keep you from falling in love with the wrong things. God will take care of you. Because one of the saddest things that can happen to a Christian is they fall in love with the wrong person, and they fall in love with the wrong things. The Bible very explicitly talks about believers should not marry unbelievers. Why? Because unbelievers will pull believers away from the God. They will. It happens over and over again. This is where the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That doesn't mean yolks of an egg. It doesn't mean races. Some people in the 90s took that and ran with it. God doesn't want you to intermarry races. Are you a fool? God doesn't see races. He doesn't see color. He sees all people made in his image. But what it does mean is don't be unequally yoked. Yoked like an animal. Yoked like, because here's what happens. If you have two people pulling in opposite directions, there's going to be tension. So if they're pursuing their dreams and career and you're wanting to pursue the Lord, guess what? There's going to be a break. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. But if both people are pursuing Christ, they're going to get closer together over time, not pulled further apart over time. Because you're yoked together following the same things. There's some girls I dated that, guess what, they told me. The reason why they did not want to, and I was getting more serious with them. Thank God, though, they, they, the Lord took them. He, I didn't want to say take them out because that sounds bad. Uh, the Lord removed them, amen, I should say. He didn't take them out. Nobody died. Uh, but the Lord removed them. But the same phrase kept coming up every time I get in a serious relationship. Every time the same phrase would come up, I love you, but I don't want to be a pastor's wife. And I thought, oh, well, sorry, honey. Uh, you know, I got nothing else for you. But I heard that multiple times. They, didn't want, they wanted me. They didn't want my lifestyle. And so guess what? Somebody had to go. Uh, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you have to have somebody that's pursuing the same goals as you. You have to have people who are together. You have to have two people that are constantly doing things. You know how a telltale sign, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, I'm better not say that. I'm going to say it. You know me. Uh, you know how I can tell people are usually on the rocks in a relationship? When they quit posting pictures together. You can always tell a relationship's on the rocks when it's just one person doing one thing with the kids all the time and the other one's not there. You think I'm lying, I promise you, divorce is looming. It's coming down the pipe. Why? Because anywhere we should go, we should be together. Let me tell you something, I'm a firm believer in that. If Emily goes somewhere, unless I have other plans, I'm going to try to accompany her. Why? Because we're one, we're together. Now, I'm not saying everywhere I go when we're there, like I go in the bathroom, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, that'd be Esther in a couple more years. Hey, Daddy, what are you doing? Uh, but, right, you know, I, there is some space there for freedom. Don't get me wrong. But I do not, I have a hard time believing that two people are one when they're always separate. They're always separate. Everything they do is separate. Separate lives, separate friends, separate trips, separate everything. And my thing I keep asking myself is, why'd you get married? 
for the tax benefit because it ain't worth it. Amen? Because at the end of the day, you want a friend. At the end of the day, you want a best friend who come what may, they're going to stay. Who's going to love you sacrificially? Who's going to be there whenever you're sick? Who's going to lift you up when you're down? You want somebody who's going to be a faithful companion, not a high-weather, fair-weather friend. And so that's why you have to have somebody who truly loves you and cares about you, and you're not moonstruck by somebody else. Moonstruck is otherwise known as puppy love. Maybe you fall in love with the wrong things as well. I love what Paul says about, I think it's, uh, oh man, the name slipped my head. I think it's Dumas. Um, there's a guy who accompanies Paul, and he says, Paul says this, he said, he has fell in love with this present age. He's fell in love with this world. He's deserted me. Guys, let me remind you of this. As nice as your home is, as nice as the stuff in your garage is, you know where everything you end up, everything you end up is? You know where all of it ends up? In a yard sale. Today, if you want a real big spiritual lesson, drive over to the 400-mile yard sale, drive 10 minutes, and look at all that stuff in people's yards. You know where all that stuff came from? People's houses. You know where all that stuff came from? Some time ago, somebody said, we need 45 Tupperware things, and we're going to use all of them. You'll find old picture frames where somebody's picture used to be, used to be where somebody was newly wed, and they put it on the mantle. It was a priceless thing in their home. You'll find family heirlooms because I promise you, everything you see is not going to last. Only what's done for Christ will last. So don't get tied up in all these worldly things. Why? Because they're not going to last. Do I want you to have nice things? Absolutely. Do I have nice things? Absolutely. But don't let those nice things have you. That's the big difference. It's okay to have nice things. Don't let nice things have you. Don't put your worth in those things because they're going down. They're going down. Going down. All right, so let's keep moving. Some of y'all, are, y'all I tell you, y'all are excited to be here today. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, chapter uh, 121, verses 7 through 8. I'm about done. Hold on with me. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from the time forth and forever. The Lord will keep you from evil. Think about that. The Lord will keep you from evil. You think about how when you get in a car, usually you will have a red man that pops on the dash, a red woman, red person, let's say that. It's 2022. Uh, you know, a red person will pop on the dash, and uh, that person will have a seatbelt on. It's reminding you, hey, put your seatbelt on. Some of you are like, I <laughs> maybe you struggle with that at times, but you put that seatbelt on, why? Because it is a safety measure, right? It goes across your chest. It is designed to keep you safe. In the form of an accident, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident, I have, been in two of them, believe it or not, um, when the airbag deploys, they don't tell you it comes out with a sucker punch in powder, amen? Like it comes out, powder flies everywhere, and it hits you in the mouth, and it feels like you got punched in the teeth. That's what it feels like. But it saves your life. Those are safety measures. Maybe you wear safety glasses at work. Here's the thing, though. We do not call those security measures. We don't call them security measures. We call them safety measures. Because here's the thing, a seatbelt cannot guarantee my security. You follow me? An airbag cannot guarantee my security. Now, it might keep me in the vehicle. It'll keep my head from going through the windshield. I hope and pray. It'll keep me, you know, to have all my teeth. I don't know about you, when I had access to my teeth good. 
my teeth good? I couldn't feel them. Uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, you're good. There's blood everywhere, but you're good. Uh, and all the while, though, those are safety measures. They are not security measures. Why? Because nobody can promise you security. Nobody can. You know, the bank right now has these security boxes. What happens if the bank burns down? Your stuff burns with it. It's not secure. You might think, well, I've got this one thing. i got this coffee can. Out back, nobody knows. Your neighbor's waiting on you to die. He's going to have a shovel out there. Because <laughs> nothing's secure. Even if you lock your car, guess what? It ain't like they can't take their elbow, bust that window. And you said, well, well uh, alarm's going to keep that thief away. A thief don't care. He's a thief. Now, some of you men, I got, this, I got, I got my gun, though. I feel real secure. You don't feel secure. You know how I know you don't feel secure? You sleep with it by your bed. You're more worried than the criminal is. Because you don't have security. You might feel like you have a feeling of safety, but you don't feel secure. Because let me promise you this, the only person who can offer you real security is the Lord. The only person who can truly watch over you is the Lord. We're going to get into it in a couple more weeks, but let me promise you this. Uh, the psalmist says like this, If the watchman stands watch, but the Lord doesn't watch over the city, the watchman stands watch in vain. Because only the Lord can take care of them. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you can put your kids in the car seat all you want to. You can buckle them in. I think we should do that. I'm a firm believer in having safety measures. But let me ask you, do you pray before you pull out of the car in the driveway? Do you take a moment to pray? Say, God, protect us. Watch over us. Because I would argue that does more good than anything else does. Because the Lord sees the cars you can't see and knows what's out there far before you do. You ever, you ever been somewhere and you were on your way leaving and something happened or you maybe forgot a sippy cup, maybe you forgot a diaper bag, maybe you forgot the baby. Uh, you know, and you're like, hey, the baby's not in there. I'm just kidding, it's never happened. Uh, but have you ever been going somewhere and had to turn around and go back and when you were going down the road there was an accident in the route you were going to take? Does it ever cross your mind sometimes? Maybe the Lord was watching over you. Maybe he made you forget something. Because I'm telling you, I believe the Lord, loves, the Lord does that. My old pastor used to say, my guardian angel, he's going to be madder and crap when I get to heaven. He said, my guardian angel is going to beat the crap out of me. Say, oh, you caused me all kinds of pain. Because <laughs> they do, they watch over us. God sends his angels to take charge over us. Because we don't fight, ladies and gentlemen, we don't fight the flesh and blood, we fight spiritual enemies principalities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's who we fight against. I love what the one famous theologian said, if the devil cannot make you sin, he will make you busy. Because when you do get busy, guess what? You sin. He will distract you. Because when he's got you distracted, he can lure you away. When he lures you away, he can kill you. Let me tell you something. It's not the weakest sheep in the flock that get attacked by wolves. It's the separated sheep in the flock that get attacked by wolves. That's who gets attacked. The weak ones are usually in the center of the flock being protected by the strong ones. But it's the ones who think they're too strong to be with the flock that get killed. So we need to be with the people of God. He needs to be with us in our going and our coming. Why? Because He is the only one who can guarantee us safety. The Lord will keep you from all evil. That reminds me of uh, the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 13. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's your gun going to do to a demon? 
nothing. What's your security system going to do to the thieves of all thieves? The one who came to kill, steal, and destroy? Nothing. Let me remind you of this very sobering fact, ladies and gentlemen. The only person who can protect you is the only person who made you. And that's the God of the universe. If God doesn't watch over us, it's all in vain. Now, we should do those things. Do not leave here and think, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. You get to heaven, God will say you were dumb. Because I think you should wear your seatbelt. I'm a firm believer. You should protect your home. I'm a firm believer. You should have a security system. You should have a camera. That's nowadays, you got all these cameras all over the place. You should have all those things. You should be as safe as you possibly can do. But let me tell you something. The only person who can bring peace and true safety is the Lord. He's the only one. Because he knows things you don't know. He sees things you can't see. He watches over you. Like Jesus said, like a mother hen longing to watch over her chicks. That's the powerful imagery of the Bible. God's, God longs to watch over us in that way. The question is, are we going to nestle up close to Him? Are we going to dwell in safety with the people of God, or are we going to do our own thing? You know, it's crazy. Even Lone Ranger had a sidekick. Let that sink in for a minute. The Lone Ranger, he had Tonto, right? Nobody can do this alone. I love the, uh, another good quote. If you want to go fast... Go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with others. Very truth. A lot of truth to that. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you better go with people. I'm looking to go far. Looking to go for long seasons of life with people of God. Why? Because our home is far away. And these are just some travel advisors to give you along the way. You think about this psalm, you think about where do I look to the mountains, you think about God doesn't sleep, you think about who can really protect us, who can really watch over us, I'm reminded of the prophet Elijah. Elijah, if you did not know, King Ahab had been, he had literally married his, uh, his brother's wife. He had his brother killed and married, her, married his wife. And King Ahab was a notoriously bad king. And Elijah came to, came to Ahab and said, guess what, God knows what you're doing. God sees what you've been doing, and God's going to bring judgment on Israel because of you. And so what did Elijah do? Elijah told, Israel, Elijah told King Ahab, he said, guess what? It's not going to rain until I tell it to rain. God has gave me the authority. It's not going to rain at all until I tell it to rain. Now here's the big thing you understand about that. Rain was the prophet Baal's main thing. He was the storm god. So if anybody was in control of the rain, it was the prophet Baal, right? Ahab probably laughed, ha, ha, we're going to worship Baal. Baal will give us rain. And Elijah said, Baal doesn't exist. He's not going to give you rain. So there's going to be a drought. To show you how powerful your God is, lowercase g, God's going to make it not rain. So it, it's a drought. It's a drought for several, several years. Every bit of the streams dries up, and finally Ahab has had enough, and he says, that's it, that's it. We'll have a showdown. You name the place, and I'll be there. They meet at Mount Carmel, on Mount Carmel. I don't know about you, but Dairy Queen needs to get the rights to that, right? Uh, they meet at Mount Carmel, and there's 400 prophets of Baal. There's one little prophet of God. And the prophets of Baal say, we're going to call down the Baal, and he's going to answer with fire on this altar. It's going to be crazy wild. There's going to be rain. And we're told that Elijah has them go first. And they dance. They start cutting themselves. This is what the Bible says, guys. They go crazy from the window to the wall. Right? I mean, they go, they go nuts. They go crazy all over the place, right? They go wild up in there. And 
they dance, they shout, they, they scream to the top of their lungs, and guess what? Nothing happens. They dance so hard, they're going so hard that Elijah says, maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe you need to wake him up. And he finally says, maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's relieving himself. That's what the KJV says. That means he's going to the bathroom, right? Maybe he's out of office. They begin to dance. They begin to cut off arms. They do all kinds of crazy things. That's what Baal and idol worship leads to. So guess what? Their God never answers because their God is false. So what does Elijah do on this mountaintop? Remember what I told you. On this mountaintop, what does Elijah do? He gathers the people of Israel around them. He says, we're going to build an altar. We're going to take 12 stones. We're going to build an altar of the Lord. We're going to put this beast, this, this, this animal on top of this altar. We're going to dig a trench around it. And he says, I want you to bring your water. Now remember, it's a drought. The only water that was there was water they were planning on drinking. I said, I want you to take that water, I want you to pour it out on this altar. They do it all kinds of times. Pour all this water all over the wood, all over the carcass, all over the altar. Where literally, the whole entire rim of the altar is full of water, the Bible says. It's overflowing. And Elijah prays the Lord, Lord, show up. He says a simple prayer pretty much, Lord, here, where's our God? Show up with fire. And God sends fire from heaven down. It consumes the entire altar. It burns the entire wood. And the Bible says explicitly that the fire came down in such a way it licked the water up. Because here's the thing I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. These false gods we're bowing down to, they offer us nothing, but they cost us everything. They offer us nothing, but they cost us everything. Following Jesus will cost you. But it's a small price to pay for everything God's going to give you. You see, God wanted them to make a sacrifice. He wanted them to pour out their water, but he was, guess what? He was fixing to send the rain. God will have you delay things because he wants your good and his glory and the best is truly yet to come. You might say, what do you mean the best is yet to come? I'm not talking about in your lifetime. God might not have good things in your lifetime, but let me tell you something. In eternity, the best is yet to come. And that's the best we can all look forward to getting. Because one day, guess what? He will rend the mountains. One day, the Bible says, He will make everything high, low. He will rip open the eastern sky, and He will come back to redeem His people. But until then, we're going to journey on. Until then, guess what? We're going to suffer with grace and peace. Until then, we're going to love with grace and mercy. Until then, guess what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I have decided to do that until I die. 70 years, 80 years, I hope I live to be 90. Sometimes I look at people who are 90 thinking, I don't want to live that long. Maybe if the Lord tarries, maybe he'll let me live a long life. Who knows? Maybe I'll have hair then, amen, get some good, get some good, good, good implants. But all the while, the truth I do know is, guess what? God's going to be faithful to me. So I've got to be faithful to him because he's been faithful to me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Ask every head to bow, right?